I guess the, the most problematic uh, mini floods happen with the rainwater hitting the, the asphalt. So basically there's nothing to absorb that rainwater. It splashes very fast to the sewage and, and so on. And creating quite often actually there's been these flooding problems in, in biggest cities in, in Finland already. And um, interesting fact about that was I was in a small seminar in, in Turku, city of Turku. And they said this few years back they had uh, really heavy rains and then these quite big urban floods to say and that mm-hmm. that it uh, alone had cost the city hundreds of thousands of euros welcome to the urbanista where we discuss the water management challenges of nordic cities from safe drinking water distribution and stormwater collection to building sustainable urban living environments here is your host delphine vasalo hey Welcome back, urbanistas. It's so nice to be back in your ears. So, hey, if you are new to this podcast, here at The Urbanista, we discuss with opinion leaders and experts all things about water, water in cities, and as well as urban development, sustainable urban development. And uh, you know something? I have a doc. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, what what it has to do with urban development? Well, bear with me. I have a dog, and as all dog owners, uh, when well, you have to take the, the little furry four-legged one to for a walk twice or more times per day. So in the morning I wake up, or in the evening after work, I I take my doggy and walk around. And there's a park nearby, so it's of course really nice to go um, around the park. And in many um, as in Finland, as in many other Nordic cities, in the parks, we have these specific areas where they are designated for doggies, where you can unleash your dog and they are fenced. And then you can, well, the dog can just run and play with another dogs and do their doggy things, right? So you are there maybe with another dog owners, just socializing a bit. And I have discovered something. I was there while my doggy was, well, running around, jumping here and there, I was just standing there. And I was standing because there was nowhere where to sit. There was no benches, no chairs, no nothing. Other than, well, a couple of rocks here, huge that they, the, the person who designed that space, which is very well nice, fenced with, with trees around and inside is only ground. There were a couple of huge rocks, which they brought from somewhere. I don't know. And they left them there. But there was nowhere to sit. Of course, I was chatting with the persons around there. And, uh, well, you have to stay there for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, just just standing. And uh, many times, as it happens in Nordic cities, the weather is, is what it is. So you are just standing there, a bit uh, freezing or sometimes rain. But hey, just, okay, can I have something to sit somewhere more comfortable? Or even in summertime, hey, there's some, there's, I would like to sit to, I don't know, to chat with, and there was nothing. So that triggered um, some curiosity. And I went, started to went out in some other parks, just normal parks. And uh, there's a bit of lakes, there's all the nice trees. But I started to realize that there was not that many places where you can sit and relax 
if you have a coffee, or if you have just sitting with whoever you are walking, or having a conversation, a moment of relax. There are not that many benches. It may seem like a very little detail, but it really, I realized that it really enhances my experience of just being walking or experiencing the green spot. And I think very, of course, this is very much the role of the person who is designing, who is creating those spaces for the human, those urban spaces for the human enjoyment. And uh, those places that are specifically created, designed, uh, of course, we, we know that's a uh, placemaking. Our guest today knows a thing or two about those. So, who are you and what do you do? Well, happy to be here, first of all, and really nice intro to the point, exactly. So my name is Baby Livio. I'm an urban designer and placemaker, specifically focused on urban spaces and kind of interaction between people and cities. Um, I'm founder of Livio Buman, which is a consultancy kind of focused on, on projects and consulting and facilitating. But I'm also founder of Partly, which tries to make a difference in what you just said, adding uh, kind of social and green spaces with urban modular furniture. So I'm also very active in the space making uh, field, place making Europe network as a leader member. And um, we've received some awards also lately, which is great, great thing to have at the moment, like um, Helsinki Design Award okay, last that. year. <laughs> And then for Parkley City Award by Urban Tech Helsinki and Helsinki City. So this is where we are at the moment. Okay. Well, actually, we, we will talk about those 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 awards because <laughs> I I remember you you were well no I was not there of course but I hear you talking about when you were in Pontevedra in this place making uh, uh, conference or so that was actually that was one of the first times okay. Who is this lady? She has something, something interesting to, to mm -hmm. say. This conference in Pontevedra was, well, about placemaking, right? Yes. Yeah. Placemaking. Can you tell us a, yeah. a, bit, a bit more what, what did you learn there? What was the, the, the oh, yeah. and the yeah. topic discussing among, amongst the, the people attendees? Exactly. I think placemaking is a really interesting um, umbrella in a way that it gathers uh, a great variety of people who are somehow working with urban space. And uh, there might be developers, uh, real estate kind of owners, uh, mostly designers and architects, but also like uh, facilitators and people who work for municipalities and cities, for instance. Uh, but there was a really great variety of topics uh, kind of discussed during placemaking week on the veteran, the city itself. Um, is a great success story of creating a, a really large pedestrianized center. So obviously that was one of the key topics there, how to create such uh, cities with a such focus and determination to create car-free cities. But other topics covered, and I was involved uh, in few workshops and sessions myself, which was about playful cities, for instance. So a focus on creating cities and urban spaces that welcome all age groups and with a specific focus on children. 
And then we talked about, for instance, transformative placemaking, which really means like that you can really, yeah, as you mentioned, start with uh, strategic um, sort of small actions with a big goal of transforming maybe a whole district even. It really starts from small actions like placing more chairs, looking at where people move, and from there on building up uh, and a place-led development for a whole whole district or city even. Actually, is it is it that the place where you normally start uh, a, a project of place making, place making in the people in the, the people you mentioned children of course an important part of, of our families or future but also adults that are well, a bit older that well they may have they certainly certainly have different needs when interacting in a social space they have different needs than than the children so that's that's where you start or where, where you normally start i guess well it should be commissioned or by someone by the city by the municipality yeah. but yeah where, where do you Quite start your we, thinking yeah it, it starts um on that site on the place kind of identified maybe as unused or uh, with different dynamics that should be changed. For instance, it might be way too empty in relation to how many people actually live there, or it might be unfriendly or feel unsafe or just lack greenery and, and active lives, basically because I think it applies to most of our urban spaces that as our cities are getting more denser, we need higher quality public spaces and from placemaking point of view, this means like opportunities for people to meet each other, to have their kind of, have basically a space where they can relax and also enjoy that kind of good urban life. Um, so often, often the project starts from identifying the issues challenges of of that particular space let's say for for example a square uh, but also very much on the strengths that are kind of maybe hidden or hidden potential that there is there might be community or, or resident groups that are active in that area but they don't really have a foothold on that square or there might be a daycare just close or even aligned to that square but they're not using that square at all because it's not fitting their needs as you said um, so these are the things we start exploring and creating more and new connections between people and the place so that might take different forms from placing different uh, elements like modular furniture or uh, green elements or playful elements and also gatherings and events facilitating those is big part of Place-making projects. In uh, our our Nordic cities are certainly old. I mean, in the sense of all, generally speaking, all European cities are have long story or long history, and the, where they are kind of old. In the example that you were putting, square, just just as a public square that, of course, that has been there already for fifty, hundred years, maybe more. So. It is not really creating, or do you see as creating a new space? It's more renovating that space, but you have certain constraints because the square is what it is. There's already yeah. buildings around. You cannot get out of, I mean, you cannot make it bigger because, well, you can't. Um, so 
all these constraints that are visible for yeah and and which are those constraints and those that may not be that visible because they maybe are underground if you are mm -hmm. planning to yeah. I mean, whatever you are you're thinking to put there where do you start in for example in this any given square all square that is well only cobblestone no green mm -hmm. element um difficult to walk for or for people uh, of certain age where do you start how do you add that that mm. element of greenery that pleasant to make that uh, place pleasant yeah i think um yeah there is certain constraints in in every place and i think that also makes it somehow interesting you really have to have this design thinking to overcome this kind of challenges in terms of restrictions and be creative so that's one one starting point and i think that's one of the reasons we also found it partly and wanted to create this uh solution is to make it as easy as possible to add these elements on any place so uh from place making point of view and, and our point of view um that kind of scenario that we would start to dig dig on the ground and start looking at quite heavy infrastructural changes it's not very um kind of possible in terms of maybe the budget available or or even timeline um or if such uh, changes would be made it really is then more it's a bit away from place making which really is about being flexible and agile and actually responding a bit to the city's needs so um with this kind of uh, solutions such as Parkly, you can easily add this on any surface and you don't have to sort of do any groundwork, which is often then, if you start doing such changes, then it gets much more complicated and then slower and maybe even sort of slowed down to the point that it's not, nothing's happening. <laughs> so um, that's, more expensive, that's the key perhaps. point. Yeah, more expensive. Because it's, then, it's all public kind of, money, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, so what what, I, what are yeah. the solutions that you you have been you have been uh, proposing if that we have this any given square like naked square there's nothing there's no soul okay it's nice the surrounding buildings but what what type of solutions you you, you bring to make it well nice yeah. a nice place where to be I think that uh, it's like we have done a lot of projects for municipalities and cities in different locations and the basic sort of requests that keep coming up from residents and citizens are more greenery and more seating uh, more life basically they often called like market life so that this kind of maybe a coffee and opportunities to sort of linger around in a in a good way <laughs> um and i think that uh, as you mentioned then our needs vary from different age groups um point of view but if we think about families that that kind of entity already has several age groups with it, with it so the adults might really want to sit down and, and have their coffee but then kids need something interesting to play with and often actually the greenery is is very interesting for children Um, but these are the basic elements. But then I'd say there's um, many other sort of elements um, in terms of there can be maybe some 
public art or as I said, opportunities to organize some events um, and so on. But uh, it comes down to quite simple things. And as you started this whole uh, discussion about this example with the seat or opportunity to sit down, this is actually uh, sort of super important topic in terms of kind of anchoring people to a place. Exactly, making or getting the key element that the people will engage with the place, will enjoy the place. So you mentioned that you have uh, you have worked in, in, in different different projects where you bring this actually uh, no several different points. The green element, but of course, green is life is what we like to see be surrounded by, and and then the furniture, the actual urban furniture that I believe do you use wood, do you use sustainable materials, which, which type of material do you use to create this, this corner place where to sit with plants, with which type of material do you use? Yeah, so uh, in our previous project, we've sort of gone towards this modularity and often used wood in our project. We wanted to, with partly, we wanted to get to even more sustainable and more flexible solutions. So in our partly modules, we use uh, metal and wooden sides and then kind of wooden uh, tops or covers for seating. That's a comfortable material also to sit down. Um, and these are designed, the material choices and the design is done so that each uh, part can be replaced or changed. So this gives also extra kind of um, uh, flexibility in terms of if if uh, we have a site where we work first with seating and have some greenery then we get the feedback that there's even more greenery needed we can add easily elements and so on so this hyper modularity is, is um, and circularity is, is embedded in the partly concept but in terms of the materials i would also highlight the green materials the bio materials aka the greenery the plants um, with that, we've sort of gone away with from that the plants are only decorative kind of elements in our public space. Um, we want them to have elements such as but like support biodiversity, so pollinator friendly plants, or quite often we also have edible plants, which gives um, a little bit different dimension to this connection to what we can have. Uh, between people and nature in urban spaces so and we want to bring that greenery very close to people because um quite often that's also so that the the greenery maybe like flower pots are sort of in a separate place and then the benches are elsewhere and we want to bring them actually physically closer because that has quite a sort of positive effect on people when they can really see the the bees and sit next to the plants and have this multi-sensory experience. Well, actually, because the, the, the plants or the greenery, the, of course, it is alive. It is a real, a real mini tree or a real um, um, flowers or, or whatever type of bushes you put there. But then you have kind of a, this modular uh, approach that I can be sit there and next there's kind of a Folks, okay, we are we, we are in audio only while well, we have a, a video version. But in order to explain it more only with words, 
we have these modules. We have these modules where one part is to actually to get the people to sit comfortably and to explain the materials, and the other part is the where the actual green element goes, whether it's bush or a tree. I don't know how tall you. Mean. But then you are putting those in this square that we were talking. So it's a it's a living entity. I mean, it needs water, needs of course at the ground that where, where it stands. How do you keep that? Because if you put water and then what happens? It, the water goes down, but the down there's the the, the the normal tarmac or cobblestone. How yeah. how does that work to keep alive that element, that green element? Yeah, surely they need a watering, like uh, regular watering, and um, but that really varies on kind of uh the the rain kind of amounts for instance so there might be weeks they don't need watering at all so this is all sort of planned planned according to the weather conditions but uh water as such uh if there's a heavy rain it would certainly go through the soil and then to the ground but uh in most cases the watering is kind of limited so that it's the soil absorbs it uh, and that's it. <laughs> but we have like under, how would I say, like reservoirs that um, extra water is also a little bit kept in the in the planter so that the watering uh, frequency is not so often as, as in normal solutions. So inside there's a reservoir or I don't know which... which yeah, it's very simple so based. Yeah. yeah, it's very simple inside, method. Inside there. And then, but if... if it happens the opposite, okay, to keep the water while there's no rain or no no one, of course, actually putting water in there. But if it happens the opposite, that increases, there's a lot of rainfall and, well, that reservoir gets full. Yeah. And then if the, if the water starts to come out, I mean, you are in the normal street or, 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 or square. Is it not a mini flood happening there or how, how do you, how do you think uh, about no, that? Not really, it's, it's not. Um, sort of the quantities of, I guess, the, the most problematic uh, mini floods happen with the rainwater hitting the, the concrete tarmac or asphalt. Mm -hmm. So basically there's nothing to absorb that rainwater. It splashes very fast uh, to the sewage and, and so on. And creating quite often, actually, there's been these flooding problems in, in biggest cities in, in, in Finland already. And um, interesting fact about that was I was in a, in a small seminar in, in Turku, city of Turku, and they said this, um, I think maybe 2020 or well, anyway, a few years back, they had uh, really heavy rains and then these quite big urban floods, so to say, and that, mm -hmm. that it, uh, alone had cost the city hundreds of thousands of euros. So uh, basically the solution for such um, problems or to kind of trying the, to alleviate this runoff water problem is to add more greenery, to add this kind of rainwater gardens, for instance, on, on streets and squares to, uh, this is this is basically the next step uh, in terms of what can be done with, with our uh, solution, we can sort of slower the rainwater going through, going through the soil and, and absorbed in there um, so that's slightly slower, slowing it down, but the more greenery and soil surfaces you had, 
the slower this kind of fl flash flood, mini flood can happen. Well, actually, then it has a double double use or double objective. Okay, it's the, the pleasant experience for the people going around there. Of course, there's the greenery, but in case there's yeah. well extra rainfall as well, as it happens, <laughs> because our climate is changing, some places mm. in the world are, are in drought. Some of the places are getting way much more rainfall than, than they used to have. And mm. if in this example that you put in the city of Turku and Finland, well, a lot of rainfall, increased volume of rain, and then, well, so with this type of solution that you have, the, the green okay, absorbs, before they get, the, the water gets to the, actually to the thermal, to the streets, mm -hmm. and then okay, going down to the, to, to the, uh, to the strong water um, chamber or whatever it, we have yeah. there. Yeah. Actually, it prevents that it gets there because it collects the water yeah, for the use of the tree, for the bush. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's already a, yeah, a very interesting thing. And all this, as you mentioned, is built, okay, wood, metal, but with an important uh, thought about sustainability, mm. the, the materials that, that, you are, that you are using. Uh, are we using too few or, or too much in general uh, sustainable materials when we are creating new spaces in the cities? Have you seen, how do you see it? Are, are we really, generally speaking, urban designers are using renewable materials or sustainable materials? How, how do you see it? I think that uh, in general, I guess there is this kind of life cycle assessments done and the more permanent mm -hmm. the, the solution, the more durable materials or I would say like sturdy and kind of um, materials they're used. But I think that there could be way more, for instance, wooden structures in public space and kind of wood as a material and more seen in our, our public spaces, often seen uh, like plastic uh, flower pots and so on. And of course, we also, uh, for the kind of inner inner planter pot, we have 100% uh, recycled plastic, which is of course great. But this is this keeps cycle mm -hmm. <laughs> in the cycle. Um, but in terms of, um, I would say, Material-wise, I guess we are in a good good spot with that. What sort of materials are used in public spaces, uh, refurbishment? But maybe it is really about uh, seeing the opportunity to, to add this greenery. So I would really wish that in in uh, different kind of urban, let's say, redevelopment projects or even street renovations, this kind of greenery. Uh, element would be way way more prioritized, and I give you an example because I'm just around the corner from the street here mm -hmm. in, in Helsinki, and uh, mm -hmm. this Kaloniuksenkatu Kalonius Street was recently uh, renovated, and the the citizens were able to comment and have some kind of feedback on the plans, and there was hundreds of comments on. We would really want more trees on this street, uh, but there's no trees on that new street. <laughs> there's quite wide, actually, lanes for pedestrians, and what's very positive, there's, of course, new cycling lane. But still, I'd say there's, uh, there's certainly, if you look at some sort of more narrow streets, even from different cities, uh, they can place streets, tree, <laughs> trees there, 
uh, I'm, I'm a bit uh, puzzled why it's not possible on, on such wide streets as here. So I just think that it's uh, the planning itself, where does it start from, what sort of priorities. And of course, there's a lot of underground uh, infrastructure, which trees and pipes are not great match. But uh, when this discussion has been going on, there was even a um, sort of commentary. I noticed that Helsinki City has developed sort of a method to add trees in sort of narrow, narrow, small places in on streets, capes, for instance. But somehow it's not there in practice yet. So how do you see it? I mean, from from where this sustainability demand comes? I mean, clearly you, you mentioned the people. I mean, the the, the residents. Uh, they, they would like to have more and, and improve, of course, living environment and more trees, more greenery. But is it a matter of will from the city? Is it the that the planner may not have that as a priority? From where you see we should we should start or where where is the yeah. key blocker? Why we are not having those trees, which anyway the people seem to be demanding, or those anyway environmentally friendly spaces? Yes, I think that's it's a sort of slow shift in culture that what is the sort of top priority of, of redevelopment or new urban development or even architecture. And it comes from many directions. Of course, as the citizens has mentioned, uh, there is certain targets and strategies that the city has to meet. Uh, there is the policies and kind of regulations. Uh, but I think is it has it yet reached sort of public space <laughs> um, management? I don't know yet. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it's still, yeah. Maybe the trees, for instance, on that street plan is is still on the last on the list of if there's space and maybe money <laughs> will add at them if possible. But if the the planning would start from that kind of target of adding ten more trees on that street then of course the whole other planning would have to go around it. And I know it's complex uh, sort of puzzles we have to also in our work to to resolve and you have to make compromises. But I think more and more the kind of um, greenery uh, is coming, becoming on, on the sort of priorities on the planning. But for instance, I know actors or like stakeholders on that architecture field uh, their feedback has been saying it's still quite conservative in terms of what's seen possible and even necessary. So we still have a long way to go from from uh, maybe like sustainability being at the very core of the planning uh, instead of something sort of added on top as a great thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. How how do you see it coming from well from from the city governments? Uh, we understand that different cities and different countries may have well their own priorities for for whatever whatever their reasons have, but it is clear that certain cities have prioritized this. I mean, not going too far uh, in the past year or a couple of years when the city of Lahti in, in Finland actually was a, um, the European capital of, of uh, the environmental capital of Europe. And we have heard a few other examples from northern uh, 
um, northern Sweden, the city of Sheleftuna. We last year we uh, we were invited to to a project by, by a water utility in Copenhagen, where yeah, it's a public tendering, yeah, open for, but the wait for the waiting, right? The waiting for the sustainability element was forty percent. Forty. There's always mm. this element in the tenderings where price availability, uh, time of delivery, all, all these normal things that are intended. But it was surprising that, hey, in Copenhagen, they are asking 40% mm. of, of the waiting to um, to adjudicate the, the the project has to do or had to do with the sustainability mm. aspect. That yeah. was like a bit, um, how do you see them? For example, in, in, in Finnish cities, other than Lahti, <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. is, is this happening? Do you see, like, at least there's more awareness or not? Uh, how do you see this making any project that you would like to, of urban development, making it more sustainable? Do you see it coming? Is it, have you, are you hearing these type of conversations or not so much? Mm. I think definitely yes. But yeah, as mentioned, in our project, it's often almost like a, by default, we try to do uh, as, sort of, let us say, uh, greenery solutions that are support biodiversity and, and kind of with the partly being a circular product, we are breaking the, the idea also of linear ownership and really bringing this already by default. So that's not maybe asked so much from our projects because it's yeah part of it. Um, but um, yeah, I definitely see that there is there is this, um, perhaps, uh, either it has to come from the, the whoever is uh, directing and ordering that project strongly, uh, or then, mm -hmm. of course, different actors that uh, of make tenders and offers uh, can highlight these topics also in their practice or their proposals. So, um, uh, for instance, I... A friend and colleague, well, Jan Katain from London, he was mm -hmm. actually also in Pontevedra. Mm -hmm. He poignantly said that it's it's really about how how you respond to a brief that you can actually also expand the the understanding of what sustainability is and what sort of solutions you can actually bring to that project that they didn't even imagine they could ask for in terms of sustainability. I include social and ecological sustainability in that. Uh, but I think that also um, that's a good example of this Lahti. So we did a project there called Green Daycare Yards. Um, okay, yeah. Tell yeah, us more about that. That was really, really uh, one of one of my favorite projects with this uh, clear like placemaking frame of creating a really big impact with small actions. So our aim was to, we worked with eight different daycares in, in Lahti and our aim was to add more greenery in their yards because access to greenery for children is it's a playful thing, it's also a health thing, it's a, a way to develop uh, your relation to nature and surprisingly enough every parent is basically taking their kids to forests and parks so much so you should, the 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 sort of the quality of environment they spend many hours per day has a really big meaning to how they sort of interact 
with plants, for instance. And it's even proven that contact with soil, uh, daily or even weekly contact with soil for children can boost their immunity system. So there's a lot of things there. Um, but when we did this project, we really noticed how how um, how much potential this element has that there would be more greenery in, in all daycare yards. And, and this can be planters or sort of built in um, uh, kind of ground, yeah, basically like gardens. Um, but what we noticed that actually the, the least satisfied personnel, the staff members, uh, were in the new buildings. So the new buildings were built with really like the approach of making it really functional and limit the amount of greenery to few few trees and rather than in the older basically the daycare buildings that were built maybe in 80s or even earlier or 70s 90s maybe even they had way more variety and greenery on their yards so i'm wondering where did we lose this <laughs> connection also we have to reintroduce well, exactly um, so if, if if you say 60s, 70s, they were already designed to have an important component of greenery for all the reasons that you that you explained. The, the, the kids interacting with nature, just going, I mean, kids are kids going, playing in the, in the ground, eating the ground. I mean, yeah, yeah, very important like for but your kind of 60s and system. 60s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, so eat the ground, just, I mean, that's. Um, yeah. Or you have they have a piece a piece of, uh, of food whatever and it drops oh no 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 don't eat it no of course pick it and eat it so the antibodies yeah, yeah, yeah. the kids need to pick antibodies from somewhere anyway yeah. if you were you, you were mentioning um, yeah even from the sixties or seventies they was there was already this idea of a big open of green spaces and suddenly towards eighties night or, or or now even so we we, we just lost it that there's more concrete, yeah. more there was okay, windows, like, more, more yeah. construction rather than the green elements. So how that happened or where is it? Mm -hmm. Okay, increased rapid urbanization is something that yeah we are, we are experiencing because cities are growing and there's the demand for more services and places where to live, where to, well, put businesses. Yeah, because we have much more knowledge now about the benefits of the greenery than than earlier. That's kind of we accumulate research and so on. Um, so I think that in that case, and of course, it's eight stakers, and I that's a, as a number, maybe not quali qualified for extensive research, but that was my finding that in these older buildings, there was the the nature was sort of starting from the yard right away and they might be even connected to a piece of forest and and I, what i actually related to or link it to is the sort of um, maybe the new buildings they really need to plan every corner and have it defined and have it as kind of controlled as possible because in the other yards where uh, staff and kids were way more happy they had kind of free nature and bit of undefined spots there uh, whereas in the new ones it seemed like the priority is to make it as maintenance easy as possible and that's not a very good um, starting point for adding diversity 
which is also a bit of a false um, kind of view because there's a lot of greenery and plants you can have, which is basically pretty maintenance free. So quite often the added greenery is seen as something um, yeah, that has to be kind of taken care of way more and get, get damaged or it has to be renewed, but that's that's living uh, organisms. And I think that if we can promote this idea more of the great benefits of more greenery, I think that certainly will override the, the sort of concerns about maintenance, for instance. What do you mean? Because these there, there are many different species of, of or green or trees that it's well they take care of themselves. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in a way, so what you mentioned that there's there's very low maintenance. So for the of course for the people or for the for the people responsible for the budget, hey, you don't need actually that's a good thing mm. to put more green because it's less maintenance. Meaning, well, if you just see it from the financial point of view, with less money. Just yeah. saving, I mean, money in the maintenance and the, yeah, in running the, the day to day um, operation or whatever is the place. So, yeah. double benefit. It could mm. be good for your budget, Mr. or Madam, who you are in charge of the of the monies in the city, and also the green for the people enjoying it and what for, for, for the kids. Um, mm. You mentioned also that uh, you, you want certain awards in the city. Was it at the city of Helsinki, at the project? Where yeah, was that? there was a, last that. year, last year, basically Helsinki Design Week and city of Helsinki award in different years for different uh, topics. And last year, the award for urban design, uh, I got the award. So I was very uh, touched by it because <laughs> I'd be working uh, maybe also on a bit of fringes of different practices or not so clearly this or that category. Uh, but I've been in my work and I was also sort of in the jury comments that trying to renew how we think of public space and the sort of ways we can develop our public space and for instance, place making. So that was a really sort of big honor to receive this award because I've been working in this field for more than 10 years and and uh, of course, when working with maybe not not a new method, but something that breaks the, the status quo, that also brings challenges and quite a lot of uh, questions about it. And and I think that this award to be recognized for this work that I and we have been doing in Raivio Pullman and then partly uh, it's sort of a great push forward to keep on doing what we are doing. Basically. <laughs> Well, yes, because the worst, um, um, they favor the innovation. And of course, innovation means breaking the mold, means doing things differently than the way we have always done it. So well, that's, that's the basic, that's the basic principle, as I understand, of, of innovation. But uh, which other interesting projects you have been, you have been involved that, or which, which would you say, which is the project that you are the most proud of it. Is this from Helsinki City? Is it this other one from, from the daycares in Lack? Or which is the, the project that you would say, this is the one I am most proud of? Oh, there's many favorite projects in that sense that it, they are really meaningful from that point of view. But I guess maybe maybe it is the, 
uh, Helsinki Market Square experiments that we did with placemaking methodology and also uh, tried out this modular urban furniture for the first time because that was also a kick for us to actually realize that hey there's actually a need for such sort of furniture system and we don't find it in the market so we're gonna create it ourselves so that was a big push to create partly but also in terms of what sort of impact we were able to do on that uh with fairly small actions basically yeah greenery and seating uh, but the design but this in, of in the the main market square of Helsinki downtown? Yeah, yeah, it was, was there it? just for one summer. Yeah, it was uh, basically it had multiple goals. One was to really communicate and have this sort of something visible actions related to the whole development of that uh, southern harbor area in Helsinki, because it's a really long process with uh, complex uh, sort of challenges to resolve. And as one of the first steps um the, the city decided to remove some of the car parking uh, just from the waterfront which i think is is a really valuable step towards making it more people friendly and um through those spots where the cars were removed we were commissioned to do a pop-up park and then sort of a, a stage like structure which was co-designed with Studio Puisto Architects and uh, this really showed us that uh, just by adding seating and these elements we can really yeah again anchor people on site and on place and enjoy their city and specifically important is this waterfront areas because this is access to one of the, the key assets of Helsinki that you can enjoy that exactly. yeah yeah. Just to give a bit more context for 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 for, for the audience that they may not be familiar, or maybe they have never been in Helsinki in Finland. Yeah. Uh, the main market square is, of course, one of the uh, key uh, um, points in Helsinki downtown. It's a very how say it's a very crowded place. It's very narrow because, of course, there, there's a street that goes a couple of streets that go go around. And there's, if I recall correctly, there's the bike lane that goes very close to the, oh, yeah, to the road in, in the curve. And yeah. then there's there, there are all these uh, kind of mini, or they are very artificial, not ponds, but they are kind of part of the shore where all these boats come. Actually, the, the, the touristic boats and the taxis that come, and where you, you can jump in and go to make a, a round uh, around the archipelago. So all those are park, no, they're not park, docked. <laughs> dock there and then and then of course there's the main public transport that goes to the to the island of Somalina, uh that is world heritage uh, declared world heritage uh, for by the um, unesco and then in the middle of the square is full of stalls boots with all kind of aircrafts food delicacies i mean a, a bunch of things so it's it's a really crowded place of course, the stars. Yep. Of course, they have some have the light. They have cables. They have uh, that, and and as you said, a bit more towards uh, uh, to, towards the end, where the the, the presidential houses. Um, what I remember, they used to be a parking place. Now you are telling me they doesn't exist yeah. anymore. I should go my more often to downtown. But then, if if you um, uh, if you eliminated that parking place, it's still like a very crowded place. 
Yeah. How do you manage that? Because, well, the, the merchants, the merchants doing business there, and I assume they have been there for quite some, yeah. I mean, many years with that, that spaces. Yeah. I, don't I think that's been... super crowded. Where do you put the benches? Or the <laughs> that's the thing. And like, the tourists, of course, be... waiting around. This is full of tourists roaming all the time. <laughs> yeah. There used to be so much parking spaces that we kind of got maybe a bit blind to the, the amount of parking spaces there. So, the, basically, the structures were placed on that empty plot of par X parking <laughs> spaces. Uh -huh. So that's why uh, that was also the idea that once you remove something, uh, which for some people it's controversial, um, but for most it's a welcome step towards more like people-driven place. Um, then you have to also add a new quality there because that empty parking space is not doing much for people. <laughs> so the other one that was actually next to the old market hall, which um, which had limited also terrace space for maybe just one of the cafes that's located in the market hall. So one of the points of that uh, pop-up park was also to serve clients, customers who buy their snacks or coffee from the market hall, and then they can come and sit outside and enjoy the, the sea seascape. So it was a really nice surprise how how well people sort of um, took over these spaces and and it it was really a good example from that point of view that you can really show that okay you remove the car parks parking space and you bring simple elements for people and it it just, they just take over it and it looks like it's always been there. So we were able to also help uh, create a vision for for that market square without par so much parking space. And um, again, like bringing people together is uh, one key sort of uh, goal in our work, and that really worked there, of course, very well because there is this people flow. But it's uh, but they never had a place to, for instance, have a small event or. Sit, sit just next to the waterfront and and these are simple things but very big things when you then actually create this visible change all these all these places as you mentioned it's uh well by, by definition given given the latitude uh, it's a, it's a spring summer uh time um um project because when the winter comes well it is what it is just the water the waterfront yeah. freezes and there's a bunch of snow of course we cannot do too much uh, too much there but then will that come back again? That would be that would be really nice that every year we will have it there. Yeah, actually that was, uh, we knew that it, this is a temporary thing um, because the, the next step on that development process was the small pavilion for the Helsinki Biennale and, and so on. It's like a pavilion to buy tickets and, and sort of get to know about the Biennale. So we knew that this um, this our pop-up park is going to be there just one summer, but then it was moved to another area, kind of the food district in Helsinki, in the Abattoir, Eurastama area. And that's also mm -hmm. showed us how easily with the modular system you can make something somewhere else and then something different in another place. Uh, and so again, uh, a good lesson and kind of a, inspiration for us to create Barkley so that we can do this 
uh, much more and help cities and municipalities to and of course other stakeholders related to urban space to take over and of different uh, urban spaces and sort of act faster to create this visible change that that uh, inspires people to spend more time in the city. Um, but talking about winter and season, we are aware of the challenges in Finland, of course, with the, the different seasons. And some of our projects are uh, outside all year round. We also have a model where, let's say, a city could just have a parkly pocket park placed uh, on a summer street, just for the summer, and it's all serviced, so they don't have to, they just order it there, and, and there you go. And off it goes uh, towards the autumn. But we are also developing a uh, few things with, with Barclay that we could extend the livability of urban space. Let's say there could be some sort of covers or shelters, or use uh, rainwater in a fun and creative way um add lighting to create more comfort in the winter season and so on. so there's a lot of opportunities in that and we are actually preparing a project uh city of kerava is funded by the eu new european Bauhaus project mm -hmm. uh, where we are testing different solutions out on the pedestrianized zones uh, with a specific focus on uh, how young people are spending time in cities so what, I, what I'm getting out here is, uh, if I can summarize a bit, so of course, yeah. <laughs> we always need to start from the people's needs. What are they asking the different types of um, um, people that we have, adult, children, families, or, or, or well, independent people. So that's that's where, where we, we always start. The use of sustainable materials, whatever, I mean, from renewable uh, materials, from recycled materials, as, as you mentioned, recycled plastic, and the wood that can be leveraged and can be, of course, recycled, can bring and, and brought back to, to nature. So no more linear thinking. And uh, once you create uh, any peacekeeping solutions, the, the, the thing that it's I mean, I'm, I'm really, really glad to hear that, that what the things that you are proposing can be moved or even used from a park to a public square to even this wholesale, the, the, the Toros Tambo that uh, for the people not familiar with that in Helsinki, that used to be, well, it used to be, or it is still the, the Yabatua, the, the, where the butchers, of course, when the wholesalers of meat and said we used, used to be like many years ago. Now, that place where you may think, mm -mm, okay, that doesn't sound too nice, not, not, <laughs> not too nice place to be really or to visit. Now, the Toros Tambo became actually a very trendy spot with cafes, with uh, restaurants, with it, it's a social place. So you are using mm. all these elements in all these environments. They're mm. very diverse with very different needs, but yeah. following the same, the same <laughs> materials of you, you, you're adapting. So that's, that's really good. I mean, that's, well, I, I, know, so I don't want to say the word incredible, but hey, that's quite, <laughs> quite an achievement. Yeah, I'm really happy that we, um... We kind of 
took this idea and really leaped leaped forward with it because I really can see that there is this I would call it maybe a new urbanism that really recognized uh, the value of public spaces and that uh, also placemaking is uh, emerging as a as a method and that um, and different stakeholders whether it's a campus area or office park or a city or developer they they can actually make a lot more out of their spaces, urban spaces with, well, one one solution is partly, but many other ways too. But that we, we wanted to really create a change in this, how we see public space, but also how we can use it. And also um, sort of create as flexible easily evolving system because that's what cities are they are evolving and when you mentioned uh, earlier the square that's been maybe has its constraints and how it was planned maybe 40 years ago doesn't really fit our needs anymore we have hotter cities that we need this greenery to cool our urban heat islands for instance and we have maybe the demographic has changed and uh, with cities getting denser, these squares might be, or streetscapes also, a place where there's room for even play or picnics and so on, that we can kind of um, keep our cities alive also by um, letting them evolve in terms of smaller places too. So that the basic cities. Yeah. Cities as, as living entities, yeah, exactly. Cities yeah, yeah. as living, truly living entities, living environments that, of course, we have to take care of, and uh, as much as possible, of course, use this sustainability approach. That, yeah, we need to keep them sustainable because, well, that's for the future of this. These little, these little entities that we were talking that eat the eat the ground and go around and, and play play in the ground. So that's that that's where all our work is uh, uh, actually in the end and the end going. So maybe thank you very much for your time, your your insights today, and thank uh, you. well, of course, let people our audience know where they where they can connect with you. Uh, your website, uh, your or LinkedIn. Where, where can they can connect you with yes. you if they want to know more about what Pipe is doing and more about Parkly? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, where they can they can go? Yeah. Yes, uh, I'm really happy to connect to like-minded people and anyone who's interested in urban spaces in LinkedIn. So you can find me in LinkedIn. Also, Parkly is in LinkedIn, so you can find Parkly with Parkly transforming urban spaces, and also our homepage helloparkly.com. Is welcoming you all. <laughs> all those things, uh, we'll put them in the show notes. A link in, in the show notes that go with the, together with this with this episode. Thank you again, Pavi, for your insights. Thank you and so much, urbanistas. Thank you so much for your attention. We never take you for granted, and we will have one more person coming in the next episode that you absolutely want to listen talking about environmental cities. You don't want to miss the next episode. Thank you so much, Pine. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Urbanista podcast, a production of Upano Infra, the leader in sustainable infrastructure solutions. If you found it interesting, why don't you share it with your colleagues? We all together 
can move our industry forward.